Hey, hey, my name is Melissa and I serve as one of the pastors here. It's good to see you tonight. Um, could, we, uh, could we begin in prayer? Well, begin my part. We've already been in prayer. <laughs> so God, would the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you? You are our rock and our redeemer. And we pray that it would be your spirit that would speak to us tonight, that you would open your word and that we would uh, receive it in the deepest part of our soul. And we pray this in your name. Amen. <clears throat> um, I need a scripture reader. Our scripture reader was uh, delayed. So if I could have, thank you, Michelle, I see that hand. We're going to be reading, thank you, we're going to, uh, we, Michelle is going to be reading Psalm 19, she has all of, I'm going to give her uh, 12 seconds to look it through, <laughs> but tonight as we look at the tabernacle, we're going to be um, really zoning in on the Holy of Holies, and specifically the Ark of the Covenant, and what was inside the Ark of the Covenant. Um, Stephanie mentioned it, um, but hopefully you grabbed a prayer booklet. If you got one last week, take another one this week and maybe share it with a coworker or a friend. These are just, um, these are psalm prayers that we can tuck in our heart. You ready? We're ready. Amen. All right. Psalms 19, 7 through 14. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is clear, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. But who can detect one's own errors? Clear me from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from insolence, and do not let them have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the word of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is one of my all-time favorite psalms. So tonight, where, um, where I'm going with the message is that when we think about the Ark of the Covenant and what was inside, it is like uh, honey in the wilderness. <clears throat> this past week, like maybe many of you, I have been suffering from the pollen blizzard. <laughs> And uh, in doing so, I've tried all the different over-the-counter things, you know, uh, saline spray and all sorts of Claritin, um, and then tea with honey because so many people gave me that advice as well. Honey is, um, is an incredible gift, and it, it adds sweetness to life, and it also has a, a, a restorative power. 
And as a, a sign of response tonight, I've, I've actually brought some that we can not just locate once again this message in God's word in our mind, but really within our hearts and really receive it to know that God's word is sweeter than honey. And it is the honey that comes to us in the middle of the wilderness. The Bible talks about four different types of wilderness. Maybe the one that we're most familiar with is the wilderness of where the Israelites wandered for 40 years. They wandered for 40 years uh, because they chose to do things their own way. We can't relate, but that's what they chose. <laughs> oh, they, I, yeah, there's a few of us. No, I can relate. <laughs> Take the detour around the bend. That wilderness was like a desert. It was arid and dry there. At times, they struggled to find water and food. And that's one type of wilderness. Jesus himself faced the wilderness. And he faced all of those temptations that come to us and actually came to the people of Israel. The difference this time is for Jesus, it was 40 days. And this, this desire to, to be right and to hold on to the law and to grab and grasp to power and to be uh, provided for in something other than God's provision. Jesus was able in the midst of that wilderness to not obliterate it, but to endure it. And for us, it's the same. No matter what time of life we are in, the wilderness period will come. And our prayers, we pray that God would end it, that it would end sooner. And, and, and God, in God's mercy, provides for us along the way. But many times what we're invited to do is to endure the wilderness. And so as we move through this series of dwelling in the wilderness, God's dwelling within us, I hope there is something that can help you if, they, if you find yourself in a wilderness time period. So the wilderness of the desert, the three other wildernesses that are mentioned are uh, events that take place on top of a mountain. The so wilderness was not always a bad thing, but the wilderness at times was this nearness to God. There is also the wilderness of the cloud and then the wild places, the wilderness of the open seas, of the water, of the ocean. And in each of those different wilderness places, we see an incredible aspect of who God is, that God is with us and tabernacles, dwells among us in the wilderness. <clears throat> I shared in, uh, hang on, I'm going to turn this off and that's the good stuff. Okay. So this past week, um, in thinking about the Ark of the Covenant and what was inside, I, uh, remember Raiders of the Lost Ark, 1981, Steven Spielberg movie. It captured the attention and the hearts of fans because um, the, the Ark of the Covenant actually went missing some 600, 700 years before Jesus. And even to this day, there are different theories and opinions as to where the Ark resides, if it still exists. Well, Steven Spielberg took some liberty in his, and we have Indiana Jones, uh, the bad guys capture the Ark of the Covenant. It's towards the end of the movie, spoiler alert, 
The end of this movie always terrified me as a child. I don't know why we got to watch it, but anyway, I'm looking at my mom, my dad, I don't know. Do you remember the scene, you know, Indiana Jones and Marion are tied to this post and he's like, don't look at it, Marion, whatever you do. And they lift off the lid and out of it comes these like creepy, scary, low CGI spirits. <laughs> and, and, and it's like this presence begins to destroy everyone in its place. And then those who looked at it, literally their faces begin to melt. This is like amazing Steven Spielberg technology. Trust me, go home and watch it later tonight and you'll say, that's just weird looking. <laughs> In the Old Testament, the Ark of the Covenant, God said, you know, it, it is reserved only for the priest to enter into and to approach once a year. You weren't even allowed to touch the Ark of the Covenant. They had these poles that they could carry it with. And if you touched it or looked at it, death came to you because that was the holiness of God. And it wasn't so that God could keep God's people separate, but it was so that God could say, this, this is reverential, powerful stuff. But all of this series and all during this journey of Lent, as we are leading up to Easter, where we celebrate the empty tomb, what we see is that God's presence dwelled in Jesus. And Jesus wasn't saying to people, do not touch me, do not come near, do not look at me. God was saying, draw near. Even to the point where Jesus says at the end, after he is resurrected, come and place your hand in my side. And so I want to... I wanna, demystify and de-Steven Spielberg the Ark of the Covenant tonight. Once again, we have our tabernacle set up on the side and, and you'll have a chance to uh, experience some prayer stations. Well, let me show you a picture of the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant. And then trust me, we're getting to Psalm 19. This is the top of the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, it was a gold-plated, uh, uh, fairly large box. And then what do you see there on top? Yeah, angels, also called cherubim. Um, and so there were these two winged sort of heavenly creatures. And what is on top is called the mercy seat. Now tuck this in away for Easter, Saturday, Sunday. When the women come to the tomb and there are two angels sitting on either side of the tomb... It is saying, this is the mercy street, mercy street, mercy seat. That's where we got the name. No, it's not. This is the mercy seat. And the very presence of God is not here. But the price has been paid. So this was the cover of the Ark of the Covenant. Then the next picture shows you the three things that were inside. And this is where we'll connect these images to Psalm 19. Uh, on the far, excuse me, the top left, <laughs> for a brief second, I didn't know my right from my left. The top left was a container that had uh, manna. This was the provision, the bread, that every single morning would be laid out for the people in the wilderness. You see there the stone tablets. 
There are two copies, not because one through five is on one tablet and six through ten is on the other. I mean, they would have cut it the size they needed it. They didn't go to Office Depot and get an eight and a half by eleven tablet. There are two copies because one copy belonged to the Israelites and one copy belonged to the sovereign king, God. So what was included there were the Ten Commandments. And then the other piece is, uh, it's called the budding rod of Aaron. So it was a staff that was budding with flowers and almonds. So these were the three things that God said, keep in the ark of the covenant, of the holy of holies, of the holiest place. And I will reign there on the mercy seat. I want to take these three things in reverse order. I, uh, I love studying scripture because there's always something new. And I always realize just how much I don't know about the Bible. <laughs> Or that I assume. I had always just thought, okay, it's the rod of Aaron, and this represents God's power and God's healing and God's miracle. Because you remember when Moses goes before the Pharaoh, look, tonight is full-on Bible study, so get excited. When Moses goes before Pharaoh, Aaron brings his rod and performs a sign. But it wasn't the budding rod. Aaron's rod turns into a snake. Y'all already knew this. Yes. So this whole time I had mixed that up. But God does not put a snake, which was the sign that Pharaoh needed to see. God does not put that within the Ark of the Covenant. God instead puts a symbol of the calling of God's people. What this budding rod or staff represents was that Aaron and his family would be the stewards, the caretakers of the Ark of the Covenant, of the tabernacle, and one day of the temple. So what is the rod? It is the sign of calling. The Ten Commandments, you would think, that makes, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. Put the contract in the box. <laughs> but what this law and what these tablets remind us is that we try, and at times we overcomplicate who God is, but the tablets remind us to love God and love neighbor. Love God and love neighbor. And then finally, the manna, which represented God's provision or God's sustenance. And Everett, if you'll, yeah, there we go. So inside the Ark of the Covenant, in the Holy of Holies, the place that only one priest once a year could come and approach this most holy object, was the law that reminded us, love God, love neighbor, a jar of manna that God will provide for you, and the budding rod, the budding staff, which reminds us of our calling. We don't have the Ark of the Covenant today. We tend to take things uh, that are icons and make them idols. We tend to take things and we begin to worship the thing instead of God. And what Psalm 19 does is it reminds us that uh, a couple of things. Number one, the holy of holies is now inside of you and in me. Jesus declared it, and that is so. 
And that can never, ever, ever be destroyed in any of us. And that the holy of holies and God's dwelling is not only inside us, but it's around us and among us. And at times, I need to borrow khaki from your jar of manna. (laughs) At times, I need to remember, I need someone, uh, Richard, to recite back to me and tell me what exactly is God's law? What is it that God has called us to? Because I want to make it all complicated. Psalm 19 begins with this beautiful testimony of creation. The heavens tell of the glory of God. The skies display the marvelous craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make you known. They speak without a sound or a word, and yet their message goes out unto all the earth. It's like a bridegroom rising up with the sun, announcing God's presence. Creation pointing to creator. And then the part that Michelle read, that the law of love God and love neighbor is perfect. It actually puts breath and revives our souls. The precepts of the Lord are simple. They're right. They make those of us that are idiots (laughs) wise. The commandments of the Lord are clear. They open up our eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. Not a fear that is a face-melting sort of fear that we cannot approach God, but that God has already approached us. The ordinances of the Lord are true and righteous. They are to be desired more than gold, even pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, even honey that is dripping from the cone. Somehow when we're in the wilderness, we just forget how sweet God's presence is. We forget just how sweet God's law is. We forget how sweet it is to be loved by you. Because what the wilderness will we'll try to fill our our lungs with is an adrenaline rush that doesn't revive us, but it just gets us going for a moment and leads in exhaustion. What the wilderness will try to do is say to us, yeah, 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 you've eaten the same thing. Manna again, God coming in this way again will cause us to begin to question God's goodness. What the wilderness will try to do is put a bitter taste in our mouths that not only tries to separate us from God, but separate us from one another. And so tonight we remember God's provision. We remember God's law. And we remember our calling which is to be the tabernacle and the holy of holies, to be the very fragrance of Christ, to be the very presence of God that is sweeter than honey, honey from the comb.
like one of the greatest wilderness places facing us, just as a society, as a church, is this constant battling with one another. This constant battling to be the very thing that God says God is, to try to be right, to try to have command, to put fear in one another. So the reason that budding rod and staff, the reason that God reminds us we are called is because we have an incredible responsibility to carry the most holy of holy things to others. And when we do get at odds with one another, <laughs> when we cannot see the sweetness among the bitterness anymore, it is God's tap on our shoulder to say, from Psalm 23, I will lead you with my staff and my rod. I've called you, I'm with you. <laughs> 